Well, good afternoon to all of you to Milwaukee Mennonite Church for our service here on uh, this last Sunday of February, February 27th, 2022, last Sunday before Ash Wednesday. Um, first off, just want to welcome those who are here in person, those who are online, um, and I also want to thank those who are involved in the service today. So all of the um, planning and preparation for the service today was done by Connie Johnson Evers. So thank you, Connie, for all your work in, in making this happen for today. Um, Rachel will be offering our reflection today. Stevers is working um, the uh, tech, and we've got some scripture readers. I think Lauren's reading some scripture today. Levi's reading some scriptures. So thank you to all of those folks today. So we begin today with our land acknowledgement, which is on eight, seven, eight invoices together. And when we come to the part of name specific peoples indigenous to the region, I'm gonna be silent there and you're welcome to reflect on those folks who are here in Milwaukee, maybe other areas of the US that you've lived in or that you're aware of, you may reflect on those folks who have lived there. So we speak this together. We acknowledge that we are gathering on the traditional territory of indigenous peoples. We affirm that settlers have specific responsibilities in the journey of reconciliation with indigenous peoples. We give thanks to creator and to those peoples who have stewarded this land for generations. We are grateful for the opportunity to live, work, and worship here as we witness the reconciling movement of the spirit and seek to live into right relations with our indigenous neighbors and all of creation. Amen. Our opening prayer is 859 in Voices Together. Pray with me. God of every place, some of us see you today from mountains of joy and confidence, mountains of gratitude and praise. Some of us seek you today from the valleys of grief or doubt, valleys of loss or exhaustion. And in all places, there you are with us, nudging us onward. When we descend from the heights, Show us your presence on the ground. When we rise from the depths, show us the light of your way. Meet us all on the path made by Jesus. Amen. Our first hymn today is uh, Voices Together, number 11, Mountain of God. Let's go to a place that is pure To learn about love and wipe away tears To melt swords of steel and hearts made of stone Set prisoners free and give strangers a home So come, come as you are Oh, come from 
blessing of your worth of blind who can see and weary who rest good news for the poor freedom for oppressed so come Our next song today is 87 in Voices Together. Oh, praise the gracious power. And be singing the first five verses. Praise you, Christ, your cross. 
tide of grace that laps at every shore with visions of a world at peace no longer bled by war we praise you Christ your cross has made us one. We now move to a time of confessing and being reconciled. Our prayer of confession is 897 in Voices Together. Speak with me. God of mercy, we are sorry that we have not always done what you wanted us to do. We have not loved you with all our heart, and we have not cared enough for other people. Forgive us through Jesus. Amen. Our words of assurance. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Alleluia. And then our sharing of the peace of Christ. And after this, you're welcome to, you know, wave or blow kisses, however you wish to, to express that. And let us say these words together here in 904. Hear the words of Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. And now we share a sign of peace with one another. Good to see all of you. <laughs> Our scripture reading, uh, we will begin with Psalm 99. The Lord is our ruler. Let the peoples tremble. God sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. God is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is the Lord. Mighty ruler, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at God's footstool. Holy is our God. Moses and Aaron were among God's priests. Samuel was also among those who called on God's name. They cried to the Lord who answered them. God spoke to them in a pillar of cloud. They kept God's decrees in the statuses that God gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Extol the Lord our God and worship at God's holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. 
And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one, of, no one any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a, crowd, a great crowd met them. Just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him. And all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I beg you, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And we were all astounded at the greatness of God. When I choose a week to preach, I'm usually working around our family's home schedule and my work schedule. I don't usually look at the scripture until after I've already signed up. And this week, I wondered whether it would be okay just to take my name off the list and slip quietly out of the preaching lineup because the transfiguration. I do not understand this story. I think it's a weird kind of supernatural and I don't really get why it's got its own Sunday to celebrate. Plus, I actually think I preached on it before, which is always really irritating to try and find something new. I thought maybe I could just pick up scripture and go with it, or bring a puppet like other weirdos have done. But then Peter, who usually has the calm head in the family, just encouraged me to sit with the scripture a little bit, listen to Pulpit Fiction, which is actually an awesome weekly podcast about the lectionary tasks and a great place for sermon jump-off spots. He said, drink some coffee, calm down. I don't really know why I'm so uncomfortable with this story. I appreciate other miracles that Jesus does. One of my favorites is his healing of the woman who was bleeding because I love the connection with an unclean, the unclean woman, the breaking of social taboos, and once again, his care for the underdogs. But the transfiguration just seems so big and shiny and magical, and that's an area that I'm not super sure about. If I had been a shepherd in the field on the night that Jesus was born, I would definitely have hid under a blanket when the heavenly host started blaring from the sky. I would be the one who would need them to say, be not afraid, because I would be very, very afraid. I would be Thomas, needing to touch the risen Christ before I'd believe it. So this shiny-faced Jesus just doesn't really do a whole lot for me. But I was listening to my husband, who had just given me a hot cup of coffee, and I drank it, and I calmed down, and I thought for a while. 
And I realized it might help me to think through the people on the mountain and why they were there in the first place. First, obviously, we have Jesus, the most important person there. According to many of the authors I read in preparation, this moment is a really big moment in Jesus' life. It's a bridge between his public ministry and his passion. Epiphany, which is the season we've just been through, is Christ making himself known to us, ministry and traveling and healing and preaching. Christ showing us who he is and why he's the son of God. Lent, which we're about to embark on, is Christ preparing his disciples and us for what comes next. The transfiguration is the bridge between the two. And in Luke, it's also sandwiched between two miracle stories. Directly before our passage for today is the feeding of the 5,000. This is the only miracle of Jesus that is in all four Gospels, and it's a huge display of Jesus' power and caring. And the transfiguration is immediately followed by Jesus, who had just been all shiny and talking with icons of the past, trundling down from the mountain and immediately plunging back into the human mess, healing a boy from a demon. Fully human, fully divine. The big paradox of who Jesus was is so evident here in this story. Moses and Elijah were also there on the mountain. I always thought of them as a connection to the past, the revered ancestors and leaders that Jesus learned from who were respected and loved by their communities. Yes, and one commentator I read likened them to Martin Luther King Jr., We all get misty-eyed talking about MLK Jr. and his captivating preaching and march for justice. But when he was assassinated, his approval rating among white Americans was at about 27%. It's really only in his death and with time that we have learned that his words were truly prophetic. A prophet in his or her own time is often rejected. And that's how it was with Moses and Elijah, too. Moses was repeatedly rejected by the Israelites, and he was stuck with them in the desert as they wandered and complained. Elijah fleed for his life repeatedly as he challenges the sinful leaders of the time. And we know that Jesus, too, isn't going to have an easy go of things. He's headed down from this mountain into Passion Week. In fact, in verse 51, just a few verses later, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Resolutely. Resolutely, he set out for Jerusalem, not with a spring in his step, but with the knowledge that there were unimaginably horrible times ahead. So maybe his meeting with Moses and Elijah was to encourage Jesus. They had experienced rejection from the ones who had revered them the most. Maybe they were there to give him strength for the journey ahead. Glory will sometimes call us where we don't want to go, even unto the valley of the shadow of death. And there was another group there on the mountain, the disciples. Included was one of my favorites, Peter. I love Peter because I relate to him so much. So here's the recap for who Peter was. He was a fisherman, a laborer who spent his early mornings out on a boat hauling nets. He fished with his brother Andrew. And one day, after a long and frustrating night without a catch, they lent this wandering preacher, Jesus, their boat so that he could preach to the multitudes on the shore. Jesus then turned to them and asked them to let down their nets again, and despite what must have been overwhelming skepticism, Peter did it. A huge haul. And immediately, Peter believes, leaves his nets, and follows Jesus. A concrete believer. 
Someone who needs to be shown, but then is all in. I can get behind that. Plus, Peter is always sticking his foot in his mouth, which I also love and can relate to. Peter doesn't have all the answers. He isn't the most well-read. He isn't the most well-spoken. I imagine him as a rough-handed, foul-mouthed, uneducated person, but one who saw and recognized Jesus for who Jesus was and dropped everything to follow him and to learn more. But all the way through the Gospels, Peter was learning, which means that he makes many, many mistakes. Peter's mistakes are part of what make me love him so much. Just before our story begins, Peter gets a win. Just after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus poses a question to his disciples. Who do the crowds say I am? And the disciples reply, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago that has come back to life. Jesus persists, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answers, God's Messiah. Boom, nailed it. Well done, Peter. I bet he was riding high. You know that feeling when you've absolutely rocked a big test or a tough question or a tricky situation? You feel invincible, as though you finally figured out this whole life thing. And then, well, then you get a shiny-faced Jesus on a mountaintop in a really strange situation. And Peter is so overwhelmed at seeing the glory of Jesus in a supernatural moment that he says absolutely the wrong thing. Wow! This is awesome! Let's build some little houses up here. Let's do one for Jesus and one for Elijah and one for Moses and just live here in happiness and glory and shininess forever. And boom, the miracle's over, the shininess is gone, and Peter bombs big time. Awkward. So this is what I love about Peter. He's just a regular guy doing his best to figure out what in the world is going on with this person who says he's fully human, but is also fully God, which means that sometimes some really weird stuff happens that doesn't happen to other fully human people. I imagine Peter spends half his time in wide-eyed disbelief at the miracles happening around him, and yet he continues to try. He continues to follow Jesus, continues believing, continues learning. He's going to screw up again big time. We've all heard the story of him denying Jesus later in Luke. But after he realizes that he has denied Jesus, that Jesus had predicted exactly that he would do this, Peter goes outside and weeps bitterly. He loves Jesus. He's doing his best. And he screws up sometimes, just as I would do, just, I think, as any of us would do. Peter also makes me think about my grandpa, my dad's dad. My grandpa was a man who always seemed a step out of sync with everybody else. He was a rural kid from Ohio, raised in a strict Mennonite home. After high school, he was drafted and served as a conscientious objector in World War II as a smoke jumper and as a worker in a mental hospital. After the war, he spent time in France and Germany helping to rebuild and to give relief to refugees. But when he returned home, he didn't have a real place anymore. His peers had gotten married, the chance for college was behind him, and so he did what was expected of him and started farming. For much of my dad's childhood, Grandpa had two jobs, farming and welding. The welding he did late at night, returning home for the morning milking and a few hours of sleep. Grandpa had a lot of tragedy in his life. 
We think he had some childhood trauma, but that was never discussed in our family. He had the loss of a firstborn son to prematurity, and a farm accident took his right hand when my dad was in high school. And Grandpa was just awkward. He showed us love, but in unusual and inelegant ways. About a week after I had Daniel, my first child, my husband Peter quietly crept out the door to go to work when he heard from the street, don't you get in that car. It was my grandpa who had showed up unannounced in the middle of the night and slept in his car until morning. Peter spent some time driving grandpa around town until mid-morning because he knew I needed some sleep and then they returned to the house. Grandpa held his first grandchild, ate lunch with us, refused to stay longer, and hopped back in his car to drive home. That was Grandpa, awkwardly loving, often not quite getting it right, but continuing to try. And that's, to me, what the disciple Peter feels like. So what do I think Peter took away from this mountaintop? What did he think about as he trudged back down into the valley of humanity? Thinking about what Peter might have learned helped me focus on what I might have learned. First, I wonder if the eagerness that Peter showed in the moment, that exuberant joy, stayed with him. Did he look back at that moment on the mountain when he saw Jesus standing with Moses and Elijah? Did it bring him comfort and strength for the journey that was ahead of him? Did he remember that moment and remember the lives of Moses and Elijah, that they were called to do the hard work to walk into the valley of the shadow of death in order to move God's important message out into the world. Second, I think Peter may have realized that following Jesus is a journey of highs and lows. Jesus was born in a barn surrounded by animals, but he was celebrated by angels in the sky and kings traveling from far away. His ministry was full of miracles of healing, but they often affected the lowest members of society. He met with tax collectors and slept outside, but he also saw glory on a mountaintop. In Jesus, we find the connect between glory and death, and so our discipleship to him and our commitment to live with Jesus as our compass means that our journey isn't going to be perfect either. We're going to screw up, just like Peter. And just like Peter, we're going to have our aha moments when it seems like we've got everything figured out. And just like Peter, we'll probably screw up again. Discipleship for us and for Peter is success followed by failure over and over and over and over again. And finally, I wonder if this moment helped Peter to remember why he followed Jesus. This miracle worker, the son of God, who converses on a mountain with long dead leaders whose face shines like the morning sun, this Jesus comes down from the mountain and plunges right back into the mess of human life. He doesn't stay on a hut in the mountain, basking in sunlight. He dives straight back into the valleys of our needing humanity. He continues to lead us into who we can become as we try to be faithful. He continues to remind us that the search for happiness is futile and fleeting, but the journey towards service and kindness and God's love is lifelong and fulfilling. I think Peter got it, at least for that moment. I think I got it for at least a moment. And working through this story has helped me understand, yet again, why I follow this Jesus guy. Why it's important to continuously reject the demons of institutional racism, sexism, homophobia. Why we go into the uncomfortable conversations with open ears and open hearts. 
because the pursuit of happiness is not what Jesus is about. Instead, we're called to pursue justice, kindness, and mercy. We're called to show God's love so fully that they'll know we're Christians by our love. And we'll screw up, broyly, over and over and over again. And Jesus will plunge back into our mess and walk beside us over and over and over again. The wonder of the mountaintop isn't necessarily the glory. It's the reminder that God is with us. God walks with us. God loves us. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. We begin our time of response with uh, hymn 437 in Voices Together, The Lord is My Light. Congregational prayer for these items is on 996 in Voices Together. I invite you to turn there.
And before we pray, I'd be remiss. I think um, at the beginning, I forgot to mention our musicians for today's service and our thanks for them, David Stolpe and Connie Johnson-Evers. So thank you to both of you. You're welcome. Um, so let us uh, pray 996. Um, and may we remember the things that have been mentioned here uh, in particular for prayer. Let us pray. Listening God. We pray for Christians everywhere, for our denomination and congregation, for strength to persevere in faithfulness. We pray for the whole people of God. We pray for the nations of the world, for all leaders, and for those who make policy decisions. We pray for the well-being of our global community. We pray for the earth and all living creatures, for regions and species at risk, and for the sharing of resources. We pray for the wholeness of creation. We pray for those who are overcome by violence, for victims of injustice or oppression, and for those in poverty or pain. We pray for all who need healing and peace. We pray for those who endure trials, for those who are dying, and for those who mourn. We pray for all in need of comfort and hope. You have heard the prayers of your people, O God. We rest in the comfort of your care as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our praying, uh, remembering specifically the war in Ukraine. And on the back of the bulletin for today, we have a litany for Ukraine. This was written by Iris de Leon Hartshorn, uh, the Associate Executive Director for MC USA. If you would be the all, and I will be the one. Let's pray this litany together. As they seek refuge from the terrible effects of war, as they try to calm their fears, as they worry about where to find food and shelter, as they witness the death that war brings, as they leave their homes behind to find safety. Deliver us all from the madness of believing good can come from violence. Give us the courage to resist the myths of violence. Forgive us our pride as a super-military power. 
Give us the compassion that gives birth to generosity and hospitality. Let us show love and mercy for those fleeing war. Mold us as a people of peace. God, hear our prayer. May God hear our prayers and the cry of the Ukrainian people. Amen. Our next song as one of response is Voices Together 714, Let There Be Light. Sending song is We Will Walk With God, 815. And if you're able, you're invited to stand. We will walk with God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We will walk with God. We will walk with God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We will walk with God. We will go rejoicing till the kingdom has come. We will go rejoicing.
And then stay for our, or stay standing, please, for the blessing, which is in 1055. Go, knowing you are beloved by God. Go, praising God for the good news in Jesus Christ. Go, living the message of God's grace, peace, and love. Amen.